We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he banked it in. He banked it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Razor catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao. Puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks oh. Hibbert. Denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, and hits. Oh, Turner bringing that smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits. What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Dwayne Washington Jr., and you're listening to Setting the Pace. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And joining us today from the Fieldhouse Files is the one and only Scott Agnes. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. How you doing? I'm good, fellas. How are you? Doing pretty well. Fachi, how are you doing, man? I'm, I'm doing great. Pacer basketball is back. I mean, uh, you know, not the preseason game we wanted, but come on, the best is yet ahead. So I did already recap this game with Rhett Bauer, but Fachi and Scott, I'm curious your thoughts on what you took away from that first preseason game against the Knicks. I'll start with you, Scott. Sure. Yeah, Alex. I think the things that jumped out to me was one, um, the things that we saw from lottery pick Chris Duarte carried over, um, especially I just love the quote he always continues to give is that um, I'm a shooter. I continue to shoot. That's what I'm going to do. And there's no hesitation. We saw that he came right in. And I think within his first four minutes had hoisted five shots. And so, I mean, after all, that's why he was brought in. So I liked that. I liked his confidence level. And I liked what his teammates said about him um, after the game. I like what we're seeing from the other rookie, Isaiah Jackson. I kind of laugh about some of the comments early on. Uh, in camp, it's been overblown a little bit. I mean, breathtaking and incredible and you know, those sorts of things before guys even played in the NBA. However, contrast that from what we heard on draft night, and it was very much he's raw. He's going to spend time in the G League. I think it's somewhere in between there. And the fact, though, that he's been running with the second unit, that's telling. Um, but otherwise, you could tell 
it was very fresh. Everything's very new to this group defensively. Didn't quite have that urgency offensively still very vanilla. I thought and didn't get into too much, but as I wrote, I think Rick Carlisle and, and Tom Thibodeau have two very different philosophies to be, begin the preseason. Carlisle eases into things and Thibodeau, it felt like he treated it like a regular season game. Julius Randle, nearly a double-double in 30 minutes. I was like, oh, okay. All right, then bring it on. Absolutely. Classic Tibbs, you know, playing the starters, even into the second half. Uh, so I'd say one of the, the major takeaways, Scott, that you touched on, you know, obviously it was a play of Chris Duarte. That's what all everyone was excited to see. And, I felt like, sure, while it's just preseason, he lived up to the expectations of this kid's – he's different than, than recent Pacer, you know, rookies. This is a guy who created his own shot. I thought it was, it was a great first step forward from, you know, what we saw in Summer League to a great in-between before the regular season. Defensively, you know, obviously you want this team to be better. But, hey, when you're getting everybody involved, you're, you don't want to look at the score in a preseason game. You know, so I thought overall uh, it, it was nice to see a lot of the young guys um, out there. I want to see a little bit more from uh, who could be filling in as that third string point guard. I don't think anyone looked uh, over the top great. I thought Kiefer Sice looked, looked nice, but still a lot to um, a lot to imagine on how this bench unit is going to fill out. But for, for now, I was just excited to see the Pacers back on the court. I would agree. I love that enthusiasm, too. So many people, and you'll probably get into it, but it's always talking about transactions and what if. I love the fact, let's just talk ball and the, you know, what we saw offensively, defensively, those sort of things as you you usher in a new season. I don't know how you can't have some kind of enthusiasm like that. I know it's been tempered a little bit, mainly because of health with three guys missing time. Now one guy dealt, but otherwise, yeah, I, I think it's just going into a new season with opened eyes and understanding that it's going to take some time, especially when you consider a brutal start to the schedule. Uh, that's going to be rough November. Basically, if you consider it, 10 straight games on the road. Um, and when you factor in jumping back for one-offs. And so I don't think it's going to be pretty early on. I think you got to hang with it. But there, there's many things, um, not only that we'll be tracking, but a lot to like, I think. Um, the other thing I didn't mention too much was I really liked what Miles Turner did. He looked refreshed, reinvigorated, um, probably physically and mentally, right? We also saw his, I think it was his Instagram post about losing weight, getting his mentals in check, and, and being re, re-energized for the new season. No, I, I completely agree. I thought Miles played really well. In, in the little bit that he played, I mean, obviously just the first half, I, I felt like it was a rough game for Brogdon. I, I felt like he almost was just kind of going through the motions. I hate to say that, but it is preseason. I understand how it can be difficult to get up for the game, but at the same time, still a lot to learn here with the new offense being put in, new defensive scheme was being put in. So lots still to learn here, but I got to ask you, Scott, looking at the guys that are filling in for our two injured players, Karis Alert and TJ Warren, we saw Jeremy Lamb and Justin Holliday did you like what you saw last night from those guys? And do you think that those two guys are the right fit in that starting lineup? I think for right now, it's it's the correct call. You Those guys have earned it. First of all, being veterans, being experienced, um, it's an easy transition to put them right there in the starting lineup. I mean, we all know Justin Holiday can do just about anything that is asked of him. And by the way, he's going to do it without complaining. Um, which is, isn't always the case for players. But he's entering year two of his uh, three-year contract extension that he signed uh, a summer ago. Um, I like him in that starting bunch to uh, right now. However, I, I think he can provide more 
pending health with everybody with that second unit. I think there he'll be able to be more of a focal point versus, you know, that starting group, much like Miles, he's kind of an option, kind of a last resort. Um, but how many times has he been called upon? He made all three of his threes last night. And I thought there were times when with that starting bunch, you kind of looked away from him to try to do other things. Um, and Jeremy Lamb, I kind of felt like him and Malcolm were the two that kind of looked a little stiff. We're kind of just getting back into it. I wondered about, you know, do they need some yoga the way they were running up and down the court? But again, I mean, they, and it was the first um, minutes of the season. The positive note for Jeremy Lamb, he rebounded the hell out of the ball. Nine mm. rebounds. I mean, I, I, that shocked me. He was averaging over a rebound a minute. Uh, every couple of minutes there, even had more than Doma. So from a positive side, I did like that. But he's just been, especially in last year, we'll see with this new scheme and, and Lloyd Pierce running the defense. He was just such a liability on that end of the floor. You know, you mentioned the rebounding from Jeremy Lamb. I, I thought that was you know spot on because Lamb came out with comments recently saying last year he was very hesitant to kind of get in the paint because of his knee injury. You know, he's very, that was something he's very cautious about. And then he comes out and he delivers on the rebounding. So are we, Scott, do you think we can maybe anticipate that Lamb could be a somewhat decent rebounder this year? Or is this just like, you know what, nine rebounds in 16 minutes could be a fluke? I'm honestly just not sure in this limited scope what to make of that, right? I don't think we saw enough from anything uh, in after game one, whether it offense, defense, I think much like Rick had said, they're, they're breaking it down. They're keeping it simple and, and go easing into things um, with this unit as he kind he and his staff, because remember the entire staff is new. So they have to become familiar, not only with one another, uh, the staff, the only group that had worked together was Carlisle, Weiner and Busick down in Dallas. Um, yeah, I, I don't make too much of it just yet, just like I don't make anything of them getting drilled and not playing great and looking horrid in the second half. Um, that that wasn't good. I actually didn't mind, though, the fact that we saw guys play because I, for those that haven't read, you know, we, we and the media, we haven't been able to see that stuff in practice. What we've been limited to is the three-point shooting, the ringing of the bell, and some free throws. So... For me, I wanted to see what Dwayne Washington Jr. looked like and Kiefer Sykes. And the fact that I was surprised that even the, the Exhibit 10 guys got in and got a chance for at least six minutes. Yeah, and I was also curious, just your thoughts on the rotation, seeing Duarte be that sixth man and then Isaiah Jackson getting the nod before O'Shea Brissett. A lot of people were anticipating O'Shea would, would get a nice role here, but he was essentially the 10th man in last night's rotation, which also meant no go Batadze. And I know you talked about that on Fieldhouse Files. So I'm just curious, did you like that second unit or did you think that there was uh, a lot of things to work out there because I felt like the on-court chemistry was number one that needed to be worked out there? Absolutely, uh, in terms of the chemistry. And TJ uh, addressed that last night. He said, hey, it's, it takes time. We got to learn each other's tendencies and those sorts of things. And that's why these preseason games are beneficial. It wasn't too long ago when they were playing six, seven, and eight games. I think that was excessive. But that's why they do need at least, you know, three or four games to get going. I, I saw O'Shea as the ninth man. Um, what it looked to me like and kind of kind of expected is they wanted to bring Domas and play him with that second unit. And they should because, I mean, how great was that the last couple of years, especially when he was teaming up with McDermott? Um, and that was something you could tell. I thought Domas' safety net of Dougie wasn't quite there. And he wasn't at times sure where he wanted to go with it or who to hand the ball off to and, and those sorts of things. But 
to start, I think it does make sense. Duarte being your sixth man, McConnell kind of running that second unit with kind of Domas when he starts that's with starts with that bunch, um, being kind of the engine like he was. I was a little bit surprised to see Isaiah Jackson get in so early, but we did know that he was over Goga because the thing Rick has kept saying is, hey, when it comes down to it, Goga's got to earn it. He's got to find himself in the rotation and, and earn some reps out there. But that was the telling point to me is, what do the Pacers do with Goga? And do you look into a trade? Um, do, would it, he be better elsewhere? Because I think he would right now as currently constructed because pending injuries, I just don't see him getting any, any reliable minutes. And he's in his third year and the Pacers are soon by the end of the month going to have to decide on his team option. I think that's probably a no-brainer. You don't want to make that mistake that they did uh, with a guy like, uh, what, Solomon Hill uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. But still, I, to me, Goga is the mo- most unknown role. Now, again, you're talking about a 10th man here, but he's the guy I think that has the least defined role among the key players we'll talk about. I think it's very accurate. I mean, I, I want to say it was, uh, I think it was Kevin Pritchard who basically said, you know, they talked about on media day that they know go can block shots. And he did. He had two great blocks, but they want to see more from a shot-making standpoint. And unfortunately, he, he didn't deliver that last night. So like you mentioned, remains to be seen what his role is. But one guy that did knock down shots, call it preseason, whatever. TJ McConnell was two of three from three-point land. I need to know. He only made two, uh, 23 pointers in the last two years. Scott, is McConnell able to work his way into maybe being a solidly capable three-point shooter next year, this year? <laughs> I think you just hope he's reasonable and doesn't have the tape. Exactly. Uh, I, I don't know what the average or whatever you want to expect that to be, but I think if, if you could see him at 35%, I think that's a victory. Because the, the laughable thing is when the defense doesn't even make their way out to the three-point line to guard him. That's when you know there's an issue, and that has been what, it, what it's been like for him the last couple of years with the Pacers, right? But now with a fresh extension, and this was the biggest thing he worked on. He was in Pittsburgh back home for most of the summer. It's what he worked with his dad, Tim, on um, a lot. And to take you inside some training camp practices, the one, one interesting, fascinating, whatever you want to call it, point for that I've observed is Jenny Busick after practice and how she works on the details with players and TJ McConnell has been one of them. She's been rebounding for him during three point shooting and free throws. And they've been tweaking his shot, furthering what he and his dad had worked on this past summer. What I didn't realize till talking to him, um, it was earlier this week was that he has not always had that hitch. It's not something that he had in high school or even college. He said, it's something he developed a couple of years as a pro lost confidence, saw opponents not guarding him. And then it's kind of just stuck with it. Um, because sometimes you just don't want to change or it takes a while. Well, he knew that was a huge weakness of his. And yes, he doesn't need to be a 40% three-point shooter, but he needs to be respectable. He needs to make those guys guard him. And so that's why he prioritized that. Jenny's been helping him out. Jenny's been working with Domas a little bit on, on shot and where those sorts of things. And I even observed you know, her working with Jeremy Lamb. They were talking for what seemed like 15, 20 minutes intently about something after a practice. And that's the other big thing that I think fans will recognize and, and players are already talking about is how Rick empowers his assistants. And we don't need to go probably too much into last season, but we know that obviously wasn't the case. Nate Bjorkren couldn't hire staff. 
and then never empowered them, never entrusted them to do their job. And that has been a direct opposite of things here. While Rick is fully in control and has more power than probably any head coach or influence, I should say, of any head coach I've covered, and he's my fourth, um, he also values his assistants and allows for them to run drills or to lead drills. Or Lloyd Pierce, take the, take this defensive drill for the next 20 minutes. Now he'll, he'll inf- insert himself or maybe pull guys aside or make a point but he allows them to do their job. And I think that's awesome. I want to transition a little bit into what happened during the second quarter that had nothing to do with the game. Edmund Sumner was traded to the Brooklyn Nets uh, along with the second round pick for a guy that will probably never come over from, uh, I think he was in, or in Europe somewhere and play for the Pacers. But I'm curious your thoughts on the Pacers, you know, moving Sumner to create that open roster spot. Me and you and Fachi, I believe, talked before about Keelan Martin and what they're going to do with his guaranteed date. They pushed it back, and it's up until the start of the season, I believe. Your thoughts on whether you think Martin returns to the team now that they've traded Sumner and got that off the cap and gotten that roster spot open, and them also bringing in Brad Wanamaker to compete for that final spot as a backup or third-string point guard. Yeah, there's a lot there. First of all, um, in terms of Keelan, yes, you could have just waived him and opened up some money on the salary cap. However. They had roughly, I don't know, 500000 let's say, available right now under the luxury tax before this move. If they just waived Keelan Martin and his contract did, became guaranteed, it'd still be below the, the veterans' minimum, which would have been made things difficult. So not only um, did they open a roster spot, but the Pacers also now have a little bit more wiggle room, roughly $2.8 million to work with. And that's, that's notable when you consider you want to have options to bring in a guy, they have several trade exceptions um, at this point that they have not used relatively, but this this trade also acquires that. The thing is, and I, I was texting about someone the day Edmund Sumner got injured. I go, there's a, there's a good chance they might waive him, right, just to simply open the roster spot. But by simply moving a second-round pick, they were able to get off this money and, and create that roster spot. Now, you talk about the third string point guard. And I thought Carlisle was very open last night when I asked him about this and you can't ask the deal. I'm gone through. So you have to get creative to take people inside media about something like this. I knew we knew that they were going to bring in Brad Wanamaker. Um, and he's a, he's a point guard, but you can't ask about the deal. It's not, it wasn't completed yet. So I asked him, where are you at with this third string point guard? Is it kind of still open for business? And he said, yeah, absolutely. It's up for grabs. And so that wasn't surprising given Sumner's injury and Kara Silvert's injury. You mm-hmm. they don't know right now when he's going to be back. They cannot plan that he's going to be available for opening night. Now that's their hope. But again, back injuries are finicky and, and likely it's something he's going to be dealing with the rest of the season from what I've been told from people that have dealt with you know, lower back injuries. And, and Malcolm Brogdon's one of them, by the way, that has dealt with them. So I like the move. It opens an opportunity up here for Brad Wanamaker, who, by the way, is an older vet. He's played in the league just a couple of years, but he's 32. He's a Pittsburgh guy like McConnell, but is actually three years older. So he, he's older. Um, he, he's, he kind of has that veteran element, although so does Kiefer Sykes. He's played overseas seven years. A little bit bigger. And he has some playoff experience with the Celtics. So it's very much now his job to win, but it's not a given. 
Yeah, you know, that Kiefer Sykes is 28 years old, so a lot of people might think he's a rookie. But just like you said, these guys are, are older than they appear. But basically when you bring in Brad Wanamaker, I mean, this is a guy who has some pretty solid experience in playing with Golden State Warriors, Celtics. Yep. Uh, I think he had another stop in the league. Um, do you, you know, we saw Kiefer Sykes, Dejan Giroux kind of draw the compliments from Rick Carlisle after the game. But do you think Wanamaker coming in there and his NBA experience – maybe has that edge over Sykes and Jerome? Yes, I do believe he has the edge. For one, because he has those aspects that Carlisle looks for. Secondly, you're not bringing him in if he's comfortable with their other options, right? Jerome, uh, you know, rookie just getting started, has a lot to learn. Two-way guy, I think he'll probably spend most of the year in, with the Mad Ants in the G League, much like Dwayne Washington Junior um, Sykes, I, I don't see him making the roster even before this. I didn't. I thought they probably um, before the injuries to Warren and Karras, I thought Keelan would probably be waived and more than likely they would keep that roster spot open, which is, again, I think I've told you guys, but that's something I'm pushing for. I Generally, I would like to see them just manage that roster better and keep an open roster spot. But my belief after uh, talking with some folks is this is Brad's job to earn, as I said. And, and it goes along the lines of what Carlisle is wanting, and that's more of a, a veteran, experienced guy. Again, he's, he's not necessarily wanting to waste two or three years developing some guys. And I was surprised how much he spoke of the value of a third-string point guard, and, and especially with Karras being out. What if, what if you're playing a lineup, for instance, of Malcolm and TJ McConnell, whatever? Um, who's your backup guard then? Right. And so this is where a guy potentially like Brad can step in and be that then that backup point guarder and kind of share in those minutes if needed. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, too, how Carlisle mentioned that. And I, and I feel like it's one of those things where to a lot of people, it's like, who cares? It's a third string point guard. But look at the times over the past couple of years where we've actually needed a third string point guard. Uh, Donald Sloan's a name that comes to mind. A.J. Price, another name that comes to mind. Like these are guys that played significant minutes when a player was injured. And I think that it is important to watch that. But what, what do you like about Brad Wanamaker's game? Clearly he's bounced around for a certain reason. He's still fighting to keep his job in the NBA. I know that he's got the experience and I think that's a big deal when it comes to being that presence, you know, on a, on a 15 man roster, being that, being that third string point guard, you want to have that experience, that leadership. But I'm just curious, what do you like about his game and what are maybe some pros and cons to it? For sure, yeah. So to start out, I think he's just a little bit bigger guard. 6'3", rather than Keeper Sykes, who's not quite six foot. So that just in itself gives him an edge. Uh, on the con side, he kind of lost his shot last. Was not a good three-point shooter. I think he lost his confidence and was part of a trade where the Warriors could help shed some contract. And so that doesn't help his case. Um, the positive, as I'm writing right now, actually, is, is the fact that he has that playoff experience he was actually against the Pacers. Remember that playoff series when he was with the Celtics? So while he didn't play much, he has gone through that. And, and he can be that emergency point guard, essentially. Again, yes, you hope someone in this role doesn't get a lot of action and is seldom used and is more like a 12th man in need. But you can't completely neglect that position or, or maybe give it to someone who has zero experience. I think the best case scenario would be for a guy like Dejan Giroux to pop to to maybe ease into things. He goes to the G League and all of a sudden, much like O'Shea Brissett, stands out and he would be able to kind of serve that multi-purpose because he's a better defender. Um, he's young, a little bit more athletic as well. So you would like that. But I think 
much like Carlisle versus Bjorkren, I think Wanamaker just has a little bit more experience and certainly um, more credibility right away. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, another guy that plays, you know, the point guard position or, you know, handles the ball quite a lot is Ben Simmons, a guy who Indiana has been rumored to quite a lot lately. Now, we've heard mixed reports about Philly being interested in Karis LeVert as well as Malcolm Brogdon. Scott, do you think there's any truth to this right now? No. I I can't argue that because for some (laughs) reason, I mean, right now. Right now, they are just throwing the Pacers in the mix. Uh, Brian Windhorst. More than that, or just keep it straight? There you hey, go. Hey, maybe give me a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't see anything. And the simple thing is, if you're Philly, what would you want? Consider that. Because the the t- two talents, I think, that immediately come to mind are Sabonis or Turner, Karis LeVert, Warren. There's two more. All right, let's go down the line. Sabonis and Turner, well, they already have Joel Embiid. You really don't want that clash. You, In fact, you need more shooters. You want spacing. You need more of guard play. All right, how about Karis or Warren? Well, those guys are on the injury report. They're not even competing in camp. Okay, the Pacers have their first-round picks, but that's about it. So I know the Pacers have called multiple times and have checked into it, and as they should. That's not really notable. If anything, uh, I would discount a a front office with pieces if you don't check in and and see what it takes and see if there's any mutual interest. But I I have not understood what these quote-unquote buzz or the Pacers being mentioned by other reports from outside this market because, um, yeah, it's not happening. Well, let me just just elaborate a little bit because whether or not it's happening or not, I think fans are still curious to see like what that fit would be you talk about what would Philly want from Indiana. I think it depends on what Philly is actually getting offered in terms of realistic offers, because with Ben Simmons holding out, there is that thought in a lot of people's minds. Well, maybe you can get him for 50 cents on the dollar. And that seems like something Kevin Pritchard would be willing to do knowing that Ben Simmons does have what five years left on his contract. So I think maybe just play a little bit of devil's advocate here. If they did trade for Simmons, you know, how do you think he would fit in with this roster? And maybe not even Simmons exactly, but a player similar to that. If they ever did something like this, why would it make sense for the Pacers to to go after a player like that? Sure. Yes. The number one thing that would absolutely appeal to the Pacers 
is that he's a guy that would never sign with them in free agency and he would be under the team control for the next four seasons. That's incredibly valuable. He also fits the bill of what they're trying to reestablish here in Indiana, and that's that defensive identity that they lost, that they went away from when they didn't want to bring back Dan Burke. And so he actually, ironically, is there in Philly. <laughs> but right. and nonetheless, he would absolutely help them in that department. I've never, selfish, personally, I guess is what I'm saying, I've never been a big Simmons guy. Um, I don't think he's a point guard. I think he would be better suited playing in the front court. Um, we know he can't shoot. Um, he's not dependable late in games. The fact when you can't trust him to shoot the ball, to score the ball, to go to the free throw line comfortably, that's a huge red mark for me if you're just strictly talking about his game. Now, um, I would also like to see him just lock in and get, get work done with like a shooting coach. And I, know, I've, I forget who's mentioned it, but I would love to see him go down to San Antonio and just work quietly in a small market away from you know, the L.A.'s, New York's, Philadelphia's, and just lock in on proving himself and getting that shot right because that's, that's troubling. But, yes, from the Pacers' standpoint and generally what they're trying to do is they're trying to get players they can't get otherwise, probably much like Karis LeVert, and his, his contract generally is appealing. I mean, on the back end, I'm looking it up now, $40 million in year four. That's a little intense. However, you got to realize – we're going to see the cap spike a little bit here in a couple of years. So that's, that's a positive sign. But I don't think he's necessarily a guy that fits the bill of what Carlisle wants, other than the, def the defensive uh, focus and how he is a really good defender and versatile defender at that. Scott, a man that is owed $140 million plus who cannot shoot scares me to death. I am with you completely that, okay. man, yeah. it, it would have to, if there's any scenario where he used to land as a pacer, it would have to be a three- or four-team deal. Otherwise, the Pacers would be giving up far too much for a guy that, to be honest, I mean, I'm going to flat out ask you, what type of Ben Simmons do you think the Pacers would be getting? Is this a rejuvenated and hungry Simmons, or is this a guy who, you know, is still the same old Ben Simmons? I wonder if he'd be happy in this market, right? Because it, he's one of those that seems to be wanting a bigger market. I think he would be better off, like I said kind of quote-unquote disappearing for a little bit, going to, a, just to throw some out there, going to a Charlotte, Orlando, San Antonio, Indiana. Um, like Martel Fult Markel Fultz a little bit, right? He kind of could get out of the spotlight. I think he would be beneficial there. But yeah, Fauci, I'm completely with you here. I, I think that is a lot to invest in him. So you got to be awfully careful. Now, there's, there's some pieces on the Pacers roster, I think basically everyone's expendable, right? No one, no one is good enough on this roster to quote unquote be untouchable. But for the asking price that Philly is surely wanting, at least at this point in the game, I, I think it, it would be criminal for the Pacers to participate. Well, let's just look aside from Ben Simmons. If there's another bigger name that maybe wants out of a small market or just out of their current team, that would be worth trading for. Let's just throw a name out there like Carl Anthony Towns, Bradley Beal, like all the names we've heard before. Would the Pacers be smart to maybe trade one to two starters, maybe even three with picks to go out and get a guy like that? Or, or do you think that the losing resume of both Towns and Beal with their respective teams makes you a little bit of hesitant to, to offer up that much to go out and get them? Yeah, well, first of all, if you're the Pacers, you always have to be in these conversations and, and look into them because their their inability to sign marquee free agents. It's it's much like why two off seasons ago, even though you're paying a little over market value, it's why you go after a guy like 
Gordon Hayward, even forgetting his ties to Indiana. And that's what you have to do and why you go after Karis LeVert via trade. Um, in terms of Beal, for example, yes, I'd be all in for that. Um, but what that means, it, it all comes down to cost, right? I'm not willing to give up three starters necessarily, I don't think, for a guy like that. And from Also, Carl Anthony Towns, I just don't think really makes a ton of sense here unless you're giving up a couple of bigs. If you're sending you know, a guy like Miles Turner and Goga up there and another piece to get off their contracts and to replace them. What this team doesn't need, obviously, guys, is another center, another big man. What I continue to push for, and I know I, I talked with you about this earlier, Alex, is that true point guard. Yeah. For me, you start there. You start also trying to find that most coveted position in the league, and that's your 3 and D, your Paul George, Kawhi, Giannis guy. That's, that's a big um, hole right now on the Pacers that they haven't been able to fill since PG. You know, whether these rumors are true or not, I feel like Pacer fans are, are almost getting glued to just who are we bringing in next. But you know what? How many moves is too many moves before we could just get this team on the court? Because continuity, it feels like that's what they need. You've had three different head coaches in basically one year. I mean, when do you just say, all right, you know what? Why don't we let this team play first? Yeah, I was looking it up last night. It was kind of hilarious. The fact that this time one year ago, Nate Bjorken was not even the head coach yet. Mm -hmm. The Pacers were still going through their interviews. That's, that's all uh, among the things that has transpired in less than a year. And go back a month or two ago, uh, Pacers at that point were still are, were playing three head coaches at one time <laughs> when you consider McMillan, Bjorkren, and then hiring Rick Carlisle. I think my, and you guys maybe have a better pulse on it than anything. My feeling is Pacer fans are just restless with running it back yet again. Yeah. They see the pieces. And on top of that, guys, is they see the health concerns and they see how they continue. I think if this group was healthy, they would be good with seeing what it looks like to start the year knowing, yeah, you could make a, a midseason trade or something at the trade deadline. I think that it's, you know, it's one thing after another that it's just become a little bit exhausting for fans is how I view it. And so therefore, in addition to the fact that everybody in this league, it's a transaction game, more people care about a potential trade than they care about last night's game or, you know, a feature about the player. That's just how it is for better or worse. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Transactions have kind of dominated the league a little bit and they've definitely dominated sports talk shows because that is exactly what fans want to hear about. But in terms of on-court stuff, I still think there are maybe some problems with this Pacers unit, the way they're orchestrated. I'm not sure that you're ever going to see this roster reach its full potential with the guys they have on it because of the uncertainty with injuries. And, and number two, what is what we've seen from Sabonis and Turner together? It's been good, but not good enough, I should say. So I'm curious to see how Carlisle uses them. Didn't really split their minutes up at all last night. Weird kind of rotation because they only played one half. But last question for you, Scott, as we get back to actual basketball stuff, did you like the way that they used Domas and the five out and didn't really have anybody in that dunker spot? Or do you think there's different ways they can utilize both those bigs being on the court together? Yeah, I think I'd prefer more of a hybrid. Again, a small sample size, but at sometimes, especially without Dougie out there. I yeah, think, I missed him. I think, <laughs> I think that's a huge loss for him, at least from start. Now, given anyone he plays with in the two-man game is fantastic. We all remember him and Lance uh, a couple of years ago even, right? They picked up and had instant chemistry. That's just part because of his IQ and such. But I think you have to lean a little bit 
on Domas's strength, and that's bullying his way in the post at times. We do see not not that he gets careless, but he gets he puts his head down a little too much and can get called for that offensive foul, and then he then he goes to the officials and complains a little bit. I think that takes him out of his game just a tad, um, just purely off of game one where it was kind of strictly five out. And even if you've seen the combination of kind of a dribble handoff to Miles, while not surprising, it's still it's a little odd to see center to center. And the fact that Domas to this point has not proven that he is a, a reliable or a guy you really want taking three pointers, maybe when he's wide open and such, but not within the flow of the offense, because I'd much rather a Justin Holiday, a Jeremy Lamb, or even Malcolm take an open three over him. Um, and then Miles, I'll be curious to see what he makes of it. Remember last year, um, for, for the betterment of the team, he kind of turned off offensively and stayed out of the way. You don't want that. You need to be involved in some capacity, and I hope Carlisle and, and Mike Weiner tap into that at least a little bit. I'm definitely very excited to see that. But Domas, I mean, man, I, I, I'm already not expecting him to become a three-point shooter, but at least a mid-range free-throw line jumper. If that could be consistent, I think that could really take his game to the next step. But, Scott, if there's one thing that you're looking to see in the next preseason game, what would that be? I think they're disposition defensively. That's the number one thing they've been focused on. And I don't know, it wasn't quite lethargic, but I didn't, I didn't really – wasn't able to form a true opinion on what they were trying to do defensively. And they were out physical there a little bit by New York, and they were fully expecting for it to be a physical, uh, tough opponent, right? And I just didn't like what I saw there. But again, first first game and such. Um, so I'll be watching more than anything the defensive end of the floor. I don't care win or loss any of these preseason games. Didn't, didn't the Colts and Peyton train all of us here in Indy that preseason um, in terms of the outcome? is relatively meaningless. However, I would do want to see progress, and it starts on the defensive end. No, I completely agree. That, and, and By the way, I, that. Go ahead. I, should, I should mention, you can throw out all the stats you want. To me, it was at the bottom of the box score. Four total turnovers for the Knicks. Four. Yeah. Whatever happened to like being the first preseason and, and guys being sloppy and uncomfortable and run, going through the motion, to only force four turnovers while turning it over four times that yourself, that was the most troubling thing to me. Yeah, well, I kind of hinted at this on Twitter. I said, well, if you're starting Jeremy Lamb, don't expect a lot of great defense. Um, no, no, no offense to Lamb, but it's just not what he's really good at. And he got he got a reach around there that he missed on and got Turner a foul. Just he's got to get better defensively. I don't think Sabonis is the greatest defender. He's gotten better at moving his feet, but still not something he's great at. And I thought Brogdon looked a little slow last night. So Really just like uh, I, I want to see more defensively. And then, of course, that second unit to me was just kind of not – they were kind of tough to watch at times on offense especially. It just felt like it was very clunky. But that is what happens when it comes to the preseason. But, Scott, we got to get you out of here. Uh, anything you want to plug for your Fieldhouse Files website and podcast? No, just appreciate people uh, checking it out. Right now I actually do have a 20% off – offer for uh, fieldhousefiles.com here running through the next week and a half or so. So if you haven't given it a try, go ahead and do that 20% off the cost. And uh, I mean, if you're going monthly, it's $4 a month and uh, writing daily over there. So check that out. I'll have, I hopefully the, the trouble to start camp is you got a lot of news. Hopefully we'll have some breathing room here and we'll be able to spend more time writing some, some features and such. I got a lot in the bag there that I, I look forward to sharing with fans.
Can't thank you enough, Scott. Definitely appreciate it and uh, look forward to talking again soon. Good stuff, guys. Thanks for having me. Okay, Vachi. So just had Scott Agnes on, and I think we'll probably try to get him on once a month. He's a great beat cover for the Indiana Pacers, and I think he does a great job over at Fieldhouse Files and always enjoy what he has to say. Absolutely. Scott has some great insight. Always great to be able to uh, you know break down some actual Pacer basketball instead of just some of the rumors that are flying around, but you know we had to address those as well. <laughs> Absolutely. So, guys, if you haven't already, make sure you go back and listen to the Kevin Pritchard podcast that we did on Wednesday night. We also had a recap of the Knicks game. If you're interested in that, I don't think a lot of people really care too much about in-depth recaps on preseason games, but we did touch on the, the Edmund Sumner trade as well. That was me and Red Bauer on Tuesday evening. So three episodes for you guys this week. Next week, we should have a couple more out as well. Uh, don't want to tease it too much, but we will have a special guest on next week, barring any schedule changes, but Fachi. Um, as we wrap it up, any final thoughts? I'm just going to say uh, you guys aren't going to want to miss the guest that we have on next week. I'm just going to leave it at that. But uh, other than that, as, as we wrap up, I mean, Alex, it, it just it just there's something different in the air now. It, it's just no more waiting. Pacer basketball is here. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and real quick, just to kind of tease our guests a little bit, it will be a first time guest of the show. And let's just say that. He is a basketball player. So we'll just put it at that. But anyway, Fachi, I, I felt like you should have tweeted this out because I almost stole your stole your text message and put it out in a tweet. You texted me today and said, it feels like the Chris Duarte era is officially here. I want you to elaborate on that because I kind of get the sense that we are in the Duarte era and we might be looking at this team in a couple of years as, a totally different team with Duarte as the focal point of the team. And it, it's completely true. And, you know, just for context, uh, through one of the one of the, the, the sites that Alex and I use, it, it had a Pacer player's name in there. And Alex updated the profile. He let me know the password. Let me know that, you know, it ended up having Duarte and a combination of some other characters in there. And when I saw that, I went, wow, the Duarte era is really upon us. It really felt like a shift in the tides of, like, He's arrived. I mean, guys, if you still don't believe, open up your eyes. This man is silky smooth out there. It's at the point where, hey, we were all guilty of it. We First, we, we knocked the pick because of his age. Oh, he's 24. How much better can he get? Guys, he's already good. He's already ahead of where, you know, any other 18-year-old would be who's not maybe a top three pick. So this guy could contribute right away. And that's the Pacers' plans. Any talk of Carlisle not playing rookies, I think that's the old Carlisle because this Carlisle happens to love the rookies the Pacers have. Well, I feel bad for Duarte because I feel like he's going to get this knock a lot. I heard Mike Breen call him the 24-year-old rookie about four to five times last mm -hmm. night during the game. And it's like, do you guys have to bring his age up every time? Like, it's like this age discrimination or something like you can't be a rookie and be 24 or something yep. like that. Like I get that he's a little bit older, but his story is incredible. And I think that that's what they should be highlighting more. Hey, look at this guy. He came over to the, uh, to the USA when he was like 14 years old and was trying just to make it barely was just scraping meal to meal, trying to live here just for the American dream. So, you know, I, I mean, we made some strong comments on it during draft night, but, now that he's a Pacer, we're all in. We want the best for him. And Kevin Pritchard said it on our podcast Wednesday. I don't want to set the bar too high for these guys, but we think really highly of them. So, 
you know, it's, it's okay to be excited about it, but also tamper expectations because, look, with rookies come growing pains. You could tell last night, I could at least, how nervous both of them acted in the beginning of the game. And I think Duarte got a little bit more comfortable as they went along. Felt like Isaiah Jackson still looked a little bit more nervous, a little bit more unsure of what to do. But I think that'll come with time. And, you know, it's exciting. But at the same time, just remember the speed of the NBA game and everything going on around it. It's, it's just a big jump from, from being in college and high school uh, sports. It is a big jump. And then you're talking about playing in Madison Square Garden against one of the top defensive teams from last year. I mean, it, it was a solid next <laughs> test. So I think for, for the crowd that said, ah, it's just summer league. Well, now you might be saying, oh, it's just preseason. But all right. But I want to know what you're going to say when it's, it's just regular season. No, no, no. Because I'm telling you, it's coming up. And these guys, they're at a point now where it's the perfect time to let them learn. We're not expecting Duarte to lead us in scoring this year or anything, but whatever he can contribute right, like right away or this year, it's more than what we've seen out of our recent rookies who really, to tell you the truth, have not been able to contribute in year one. So this is going to be a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I can only imagine how nerve-wracking it is if you're like Chris Duarte about to dribble and all of a sudden you hear Tom Thibodeau yell, ice, ice. I would be losing the ball. Like, okay, turnover. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that, that is so ferocious through the TV screen. I can only imagine what it's like being there courtside. But, yeah, Fachi, I mean, you're exactly right. The, four, the rookies we've had before, Gogo Batadze still on the roster. He uh, was the 11th man in Monday night's – or Tuesday night's game, excuse me. Aaron Holiday got traded away. He's going to be the backup point guard for the Wizards. He looked good. I think he had 17 points in his first game with the Wizards as the backup point guard. So, so good for Aaron Holiday. We know he can score, and he's just been kind of inconsistent, but he's also been used inconsistently. So stinks that he didn't last here very long. But at the same time, there's high hopes for Isaiah Jackson. So really the rookies have not panned out here very well, but this class seems to be different, and we're hoping that this is potential starters for the Pacers in a couple of years. But – We've talked a lot this week. Let's uh, wrap it up here, Fachi. Let people know where they can find us at. And uh, yeah, so where can they find us at on social media? So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. And you can find us on uh, Facebook at SettingThePace and on TikTok at some pace. Man, almost messed it up there, Fudge. Almost. Good call. Uh, you saved it. You saved it. All right, everybody. If you are a fan of the Indiana Pacers and you are hoping to see a big game from Isaiah Jackson against the Cleveland Cavaliers on Friday evening, say these three words. Let's go Pacers. Talk to y'all later. All healthy, uh, we're going to be a tough out. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. 
Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 